Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. And welcome back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. We are recording in a makeshift podcasting studio. All right, we're in a kitchen. We're in your kitchen. We're in my kitchen. We've holed up. We have these uh, memory foam bath mats to mask the noise. I feel that our sound is actually pretty decent. For for the fact that we're in a kitchen. But if you somehow randomly hear kitchen sounds, it's because we're in a kitchen. What sounds does a kitchen make, Alex? Like, I don't know, dishwasher, kitchen, refrigerator... I think we've regulated it pretty well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're hearing the refrigerator buzzing behind us. We don't know. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to talk. This is actually, this is an episode that has been a long time coming. I'm actually surprised that we haven't done this before, uh, just a full episode of this. This is a mailbag episode, guys. Yeah. Well, we've done, we've done uh, uh, like letters from the internet. Well, and we do questions. You know, we'll we'll try to stay on top of that because we obviously we'd like to interact with you guys and ask a lot of questions. But this is going to be a full mailbag episode. So we're going to, we're going to cover like what, probably 12 or 15 questions, something like that. Hopefully, a number of them. Among among them, uh, the, one of the more interesting ones that we just got was: Should Stoneforge Mystic be unbanned in modern? Which, which we'll, which cover we'll a little, get to. Yeah, a little later. Any of the others that are, are, are highlights to talk about? Which the answer to that is surprising. Yeah, it, it's a it's a great conversation we had quite a, for quite a while before we started recording. So we'll get to it in a little bit because we don't want to never hear it. Harp on hear something long. similar this podcast. I, today. Well, I read several of the others that I thought were like super interesting. And do you want to tease any of them right now before we just get into the full list? No, it's just well, it's well. First off, so the reason we were able to get these questions, and if we do another one of these episodes, and you want your question answered, uh, make sure to follow us at Twitter at the MMCast. And if you want to talk to Kessler or myself personally, which uh, we try to respond as often as we can and we should do more of, uh, you can hit me at Ben Bateman Media. And I'm at Kess Wiley. And you can also uh, make sure to check out our Command Zone sister podcast. They make awesome Commander content. Yeah, Jimmy and Josh are the best, and uh, they are very smart when it comes to Commander and Magic and all that. And so They, they just hit the podcast. top 10 Magic podcast list from the Mothership, so they're doing all this fancy stuff. It's all on rocketgem.com if you want to check that stuff out. Like so. us. We're there, too. Yep. Oh, I guess they also have a Hulu show. Oh, yeah. Check out Rocket Jump, the show. Yeah, it's it, awesome. It, it just premieres about to. Uh, it just premiered. Two episodes are out, but they did two like day one last Wednesday. Yeah, the trailer looked awesome. Uh, yeah, well, what, I mean, I, it, what it is is it's like a reality show following them making a sketch. Yeah, because Freddie and, and all the, the whole gang that, that does Rocket Jump <laughs> and sort of Kessler sneezed. It's live. Um, Kessler, <laughs> uh, Freddie and the whole group that like sort of did Rocket Jump from the beginning and Jimmy and, and Video Game High School and all that. There's like a huge production that goes into making these awesome looking videos that are incredible and, and, and are exciting. But obviously, like, it's not a tentpole, you know, Avengers film. There's not a budget like that. So it's sort of the real story of how they make this sort of stuff looks as, cr- as incredible as it does. And uh, the trailer and everything I've heard from the people there, it, it really sounds cool. So you guys should definitely check that out. All right. So first question. All right. Ready? All right. So the first question from our mailbag of questions is from Esper Shardmage at Esper Shardmage. I've heard of him or her. <laughs> uh, he asked, what will it take for traditional tap out control to make top tier and modern? Well, we got this question a lot, and I f- tap out control. I feel like is blatantly legal already. And in in a lot of ways, Grixis is tap out control. Like, I would say, yeah, Grixis and even the Jund and Junk decks are vaguely. They're mid range. They're sure. I guess. I guess con- tap out control is interesting because like Grixis blatantly is then. Yeah, I mean it plays a lot of instants, good ones. They're cheap, so it's not necessarily tap out control. Oh, okay. I'm getting confused. So would. For me, tap out control is you tap out every turn. And you lose all you, you even versus draw speed. go control, which is you 
you have a bunch of instants that you only spawn your opponent's end step. Okay, so they're so they're different. One is played all instant speed at the end of your opponent's turn. And the other one plays everything at sorcery speed on your turn. But is so like what the previous Grixis twin deck was where there was no counter magic and right. it was all just removal spells and threats you play in your own turn. Right. But I think the Grixis deck we just did in our previous podcast is blatantly tap out control. I would say so. Yeah, it certainly feels that way. And it's an awesome deck. Yeah. Um and as far as because we got a lot of what would it take for control to be viable and modern as a general question. And I think the answer for Drago is, I think, just a better counterspell. Right now, there's only counterspells that are good early but get terrible late or counterspells that you can't play until turn four that are powerful, a la Cryptic Command. Right. So there would need to be some type of counterspell that's not too oppressive that is strong enough to see play to cover the early game and late game. So you some... really think that Modern needs a better counterspell? I don't you think have... any of the counterspells are good. Okay, I mean, okay. they are, let's, but like... Let's, let's talk about the counterspells that aren't legal in Modern quickly that... that I know we've done this before, but just like we'll just list them really quickly. The counterspells that aren't legal in Modern that could be that would necessarily be better counterspells. Force of Will, Days, uh, Counterspell, actually Hard Counter, Memory Lapse. Um, am I missing any really important counterspell? Those those four come to days, mind. but days isn't no, days, I said days is a hard. Co- okay, did. those four. I think that's pretty much it as far as the the playable counter spells. Four spike. Um, that's probably it. Right. So if that's the case, we don't want force of well in modern yet. Uh, the other four, I don't think you can print counter spell in modern, and the other ones, it, it's debatable. So. Right. I, my, my point is a counterspell. This isn't a counterspell that's one of those. I'm saying a counterspell that exists where it doesn't scale as terribly as both Mana Leak and Remand do towards the late game. Sure. Like right now, there is no incentive with counter magic to last as long as possible, which makes because for both of those decks, if you're relying on those as your counter magic, the later the game gets, the worse they get, which means your game plan doesn't work. They're much better tempo cards. So there right. needs to be a more controlly counter spell that makes it viable to go late like that interesting so do you think if the question is what would what would make tap out control viable the answer that we're giving is that we think it is viable and is a deck already correct but if we wanted to see that sort of draw go type of counter a better counter spell would have to be legal and are you saying that you think it should or shouldn't be one of those? Are you saying like that there should be a legal counter spell? well for instance I think days should be the format but I think days is the same problem it's just a little too good. No, it's 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 not good in the late game. And you think that in modern you can't have cards like that? No, I think you can. I think we do, and I'd love days to be in the format. But my point is, is for classic draw go to be good in modern, you need a counter spell that's good late and early. Okay. And we don't have that Got in it. a single card. And want I don't know if I want that to be true. And the ones I'm that w- the ones that would be that you don't that exist already. Like I don't think force will should be the format. I don't think counter spell should be. What the about format. memory lapse? I think memory lapse could be fine. It's kind of just remand in a lot of ways. It is, which makes it once again not great in the late game, but it's better in the late game than remand is because yeah. countering their lightning bolt and them getting a random card is way less dangerous than countering. No, no, they don't get a random. Oh, card. it goes on the top of their deck. Yeah, in, in a lot of ways, it's it's not strictly better or worse than remand because with remand you have the wonderful ability with the with the sort of tempo decks of countering your own spell late to draw a card, whereas you can't do that memory lapse. So memory lapse is is a defensively better card. Remand is a more flexible card. Got it. The question is, if you played, if memory laps were legal in the format, would you see a two-two split? Would you see a four-two split, or would you see a four-two split in the favor of memory laps? Do you think people? Right. Do you think players would gravitate towards this just being a better stall you out control card? 
They might. They might. I mean, I think then it becomes a choice. But once again, we're in the land of not good in the late game because you're both top decking, et cetera, et cetera. I was thinking of Arcane Denial, which is a counter spell that lets you draw a card and then draw a card. So it's yeah. like Roman, but instead of them getting their spell back, they get to draw two cards. Right. But uh, sure. Okay. So let's let's move on. I think we've gone sure. down that hole pretty deep. Uh, how much do we miss Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time? Uh, well... I miss dig through dig. time. I miss dig. Cruise is is is, is disgusting and degenerate. Well, I think, I think we're better off in the world where the only incentive to play in the format was cantrips and playing Delver and or Jeskai ascendancy decks. Yeah, I mean, they it didn't really seem like the things that Treasure Cruise did at the time were healthy for the format at all. Like it, it often just seemed like this is just a really, really like not that well thought out way. That Wizards was able to print Ancestral Recall in Modern, <laughs> which is way, 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 way right. too powerful. And like you look like I remember watching some streaming videos of some of the pros during that time, and also watching coverage of whatever that Pro Tour was. I think it was a Pro Tour. I think it was legal for a Pro Tour. No, no, it wasn't. It was just a Grand Prix. Grand Prix. I think I remember watching the Grand Prix, and it was basically just like Blue Red Delver versus Junk. Right? That was it. That was the matchup. Oh, yeah, Abzan yeah. versus Blue Red Delver, and I and Birthing Pod. Oh, that's what it was. It was Birthing Pod versus Blue Red Delve. Right. It was before those bannings. And I watched that matchup like six times that tournament. And just yep. every time I was like, both of these decks are stupid. Both of these decks are really the incentive stupid. Bo- like, the fact that they're not legal for Legacy says a lot. I, I think Dig Through Time is probably fine right. to a certain extent. Uh, I think the decks that it makes slightly stronger are still strong. So I don't know how much more dominant Twin would be if Dig Through Time was in the format. Right. Um, but... They tried doing the one foot in the water in Legacy. It failed. Right. Dig Through Time just got banned. I can see an argument for probably it not being good for the format either way. Yeah. I, I like. I was always. I was always someone who was like. I love well, Tasker though. Tasker's awesome. Yeah. Um. I was always someone who felt like Dig could be legal, but Cruise shouldn't be legal. And you and several other people were always like, "No, you're totally wrong. It's just way too good. <laughs> like, if it was legal, it would be a huge problem in Modern. It just didn't get as much." Uh, of the attention because Cruise was like the combo version that would like right. see play in the absent in the uh, in the Ascendancy Jeskai deck. And Delver. Well, De- like the Delver engine was so strong at that point that and like I mean, Dig saw a lot of play. Like Scapeshift was one of the tiered higher tier decks in that in that format. So was Twin because Dig was so powerful. I mean, imagine just the the Grixis deck that's making waves right now. What if it had Dig through time? It would be so dumb. so good. It'd be so dumb. So sweet. <laughs> I already think that deck's extremely sweet. All right, moving on. Let's get to the next question. All right, so Riley Jones at Chess Hazard. Uh, I'm planning on going to my first GP in late February. What should I be doing to prepare now? Oh, that's a good one. So, okay, first and foremost, I'm a s- late February. Is that a modern GP? Uh, there's a modern pro tour in February on Super Bowl weekend in Atlanta. I'm, uh, I'm unsure, but we don't have the list in front of us. Yeah, we don't but, have the list in front of us. But I- if it's modern, the biggest problem right now is that the format will be shaked up by a ban restricted announcement before the pro tour most likely. Yeah, so the here, here's what I'll say. This is I think we should let's do a quick let's just do a quick GP sheet like sort of cheat sheet for like what it's like to go to one of these things, especially to travel to one. Right. Um we can do a real fast one. There's actually if you're interested, there's some older episodes we've done. Um the I would listen to some of the episodes about guys that have won or top 4 GPs. So Andrew Brown has 
has won a GP and done really well at several. Yeah, we of do them. a few GP reports. Yeah, we just had Corey Burkhardt. He just got top eight at GP Pittsburgh. Right. So listen to one or two of those. I would also say your GP Vegas episode or our GP yeah, Vegas episode was, was really one. good because we definitely break down the process we took in kind of setting up to go there and what we did. And it was a new beforehand. experience. And you day two for the and so like yeah, we was, had some amount of full tournament experience. And it was it was an experience for me as someone who I travel to some GPs for sure. We we both do. But it was the first time I had made like a higher, like a top hundred at a GP like that, right? And so, it, like, definitely from the sort of point of view of someone who doesn't know what to expect, um, and Nestle doesn't expect to do that well. It was a it, that's probably good information. The other one, there's there's an episode we did at one point about uh, eating habits, about right, about, exercise and eating habits before a tournament. That and, was yeah, the last one I would say. And it sort of talks about just like your mental and physical approach to doing well at a tournament because a lot of people don't realize if they haven't traveled to these things before. Not only are you dealing with like the 11 or 12 hours on day one, but you're also dealing with the sort of preparation, the night sleep you have to get before, the travel to and from, the eating, the water. It's like a lot you can't really anticipate if you're not used to it, and you can just completely burn your body right. out. Right. If it's your day. first GP, it, these things are exhausting. By the oh end of day God. one, you're dead on, on your feet. So like I think the best advice we gave in that, that episode, just as like a small preview for it, is drink as much water as possible. Yeah. Just chug water in all day life. in like <laughs> in life, but especially at a magic tournament. Yeah, for sure. All right. So uh do, 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 do. Grief is Good asked, with all this tribal support, we gotta be getting a cavern reprint soon, right? Um I actually don't hate it as a spec for Return to Innistrad. Yeah. Not as a spec, but as a like a, a shot call that it could be in return. Because Innistrad classically is a very tribal set. Right. I mean, it's, it's like... Even Avacyn is a tribal set. And I think Cavern... It's from Avacyn. Avacyn. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I definitely can see Cavern Souls being reprinted in either of the two sets from Shadow over Innistrad. I mean, yeah. It's like, you know, Cavern's gotten pretty pricey. I want to say Cavern's somewhere in the 40s now. 45, 40, 40, 45, something like that. I think that's about right. And, you know, so for... People will gravitate towards a deck like Merfolk, thinking it's going to be like not that expensive, and you need several of those. So you add like a hundred bucks or, or a little more than that to your deck if you're going to play a few of them. Elves right. the same way. It's, it's not too powerful for standard. It's just kind of a fair. I, I could be. It wasn't. That, would, it wasn't yeah. that good in standard. I don't think if I recall. It was okay. I mean, the, the, it, it's as good as counter magic is. So in standard, it's yeah. not as amazing. And in He's playing a few modern decks. I mean, it's not playing like all of the tribal decks in that format. It sees play as a one of an amulet. If that deck doesn't get banned. Yeah, so I, I definitely could actually see it being printed. I, I would not be surprised. Um, it doesn't have any because it doesn't have any tr any tribal specific uh, that you couldn't print it right. It's just creature type, uncounterable. Yeah, no, it, it literally says souls, you it's not name a creature type. It's from Av it's from Innistrad, and that was post the tribal thing going away. No, anyways. I just mean it doesn't have any like uh, creature type or like art or name that has anything to do with an era or a time that we couldn't it's see. It's from it. the block we're going to. It's from Av it's from Avacyn Restored, which is Innistrad's third it's set. True. It's literally where we're going. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it might have like an angel on it, but no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, just, it has like a weird cave. lady effect. All right. Uh, next question: Have you guys looked into Popper from Waffle Cone. I've played a bit of Popper. I've I've never touched the. F it's like the one. Yeah, I've played a little bit of Popper, and I've watched some streaming. Uh, there, there's some cool. The only thing about Popper that is appealing to me is that there's a few cards that are sweet. If you're like someone who likes, like I've played uh, Popper and Peasant Cubes a bunch of times. Okay. And there's some cards that in those formats are really fun to play with. So a card that comes to mind is the. Um, common blue flying artifact affinity for islands it's the like four four i think for seven oh, okay maybe. 
I think it's what it is, or two, it might be a tutu. Right, Spire right. or something, but anyway, it, cards. There's several cards like that where it's it, those are cool and like that. There's a Delver deck you can play, I think, that plays like that and like right. straight islands, spell pierce and stuff. I remember watching some streaming with that and like thinking this is pretty cool. Gorilla, there's like that Gorilla Shaman card from uh, whatever the heck that set was. Alliances, uh, Gorilla Shaman, or it destroys artifacts. There's like a few cards that I'm like these are sweet cards I like and it's fun to get to play with them in a format where they matter. But that's sure. about it. Uh, my my the only thing I do know because I did read a popper article recently and it basically was listing the top ten most played cards in the format and it was blatantly just all blue cards and I was like well that's yeah yeah I'm done <laughs> well it's, it's a bunch of sweet cantrips and Delver right and I love blue but like you know diversity yeah yeah all right so moving on from Kaysen Fulton uh, what kinds of decks would you guys recommend for a player looking to start playing modern on a budget um hmm. I would say. I generally point towards Merfolk. Yeah. It is a little oh, bit pricier than it used to be. It's not that cheap. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is on the cheaper end, and you're still consistently powerful. If you just want to really step your toe in and just have a deck to get to play against people with, uh, Mono Green Stompy seems to be a fan of a lot of people that write with us on, or tweet at us. Yeah. Um, I've, the only issue with that deck is I've... Well, I've played against some players that weren't that good at playing it, so I think they got outclassed. But I've also seen streams and I've seen coverage of, of good players playing it, so I know you can do well with it. It's very explosive. Right. It's got a lot of firepower. I would also say, I like. I almost want to say Infect is actually not that expensive, except the mana base is a Ish. little pricey. The, the, the Hierarchs are decently expensive. Oh, Hierarchs in the deck, never mind. The mana base is expensive. Ink Moth is reasonably expensive. So yeah, I would say... I would say Aim at one of the tribal decks. I'd also recommend before you buy anything, printing out proxies proxies for the deck and testing it against people and seeing do I like playing this deck and then slowly start investing it. I yeah. mean, in I've said this a thousand times, but especially right now our standard is super expensive. But you know, over time, if instead of buying packs, instead of you know buying and losing money on standard cards if you just slowly invest into a modern deck your yeah. money is going to be way better spent than anything else but make sure think, you like that deck in the first place i don't think elves is that expensive because you have to play you have to play heritage druid which is expensive i think that's the only expensive card out and of the rest of it, and cavern which we just talked yeah, about yeah but. but like you're talking with those two cards aside from that you're talking about like elvish visionary collected companies cheap because it's in standard you've got like azuri and you've got like court of calling and th right. i think they're all pretty cheap I mean, this does come to a specific problem of, and I think someone else asked us this question, but the difference between investing in a single specific deck versus a collection. And the problem with elves and merfolk are classically, your cards are only going to be playable in that one deck. Yeah, here's what I will say about modern. And this is, and this is like a... Okay, so... You talk about those decks, we're talking about the, the, the tribal decks, right? And they're they're usually pretty monocolored, and you're having to spend a decent amount of your money on cards that aren't going to be very good in other decks. There's a few expensive cards, like we said, Cavern, several others, Collected Company is, you know, reasonable, whatever. But ultimately, a lot of the chaff you're buying for the deck is only good in that deck. So it, it, the likelihood that long-term it'll maintain value is difficult. What I sort of like to think is like, for instance, you have a huge collection of modern cards that we both sort of We'll right. play from. I have all the lands, pretty much. I have pretty much every land I need at this point. And then I have a bunch of other cards. Right. Like, you know, I got a bunch of Decays and Spellskites and, like, cards that I use and all the commons and uncommons. I got all that stuff. But for me, if I was going to have to go buy into a deck that I wanted to just build, if you just left town or something and I didn't have your cards to use anymore, <coughs> I could pretty much play any deck I wanted for not that much money because I have the base. 
and it's taken me a long time to get the lands. Right. But the lands I've spent money on have never lost any value because I buy them at the right time. I, I look for the right deals. I'll look on eBay. I'll, I'll look at for a cheap sure. deal at the store. And I think if you're going to try to get into modern, I like to think of it as like, if you're going to start with a tribal deck, you know, maybe buy into the tribal deck, but keep your eye on just like, okay, long term, I should set myself up to be okay in this format. And the things that are going to be the most stable forever, almost indefinitely, are lands. Like you can get shocks for cheap right now. They're still not very expensive. You're talking about eight. I mean, you 10. can get Innistrad fetches for pretty inexpensive right now as well. Innistrad fetches? You mean not cons? Cons fetches. Yeah, the blue ones went up a little bit, but they're still they're still in that like ten to eighteen range for like most you of could, them. You could play Grixis. I mean, you need Jace's, which is a whole other issue. Yeah. But like the mana base for Grixis is not that expensive. Any of the allied mana bases is pretty cheap right now because you can eschew playing the Eschew, um, do you mean? Eschew. <laughs> uh, playing the cards from, you know, playing the original yeah. fetches or Zendikar fetches. Well, that, okay, so that actually brings up, and we'll move on from this, but that brings a great point up, which is, okay, so the Grixis deck comes out of the woodwork, and all of a sudden people want to play the Grixis deck, right? So Jace is a new hot card that has made that deck sort of like the next level. So right. Snapcaster, if you were lucky enough to buy before, great. If not, it's crappy because you have to spend a lot of money on that card. Right. But aside from that, like... Those cards were all available to you at a pretty consistent price for a long time. Like they've been about the same price forever. So if you had bought into that deck six months ago and then Jace came out and you made the decision that you were going to invest in Jace's, you may have had everything else already and not have lost or gained anything from buying it. It would have just stayed the same. If you had to sell it off, you could have gotten your money back. Fair. Because it's good cards in modern. I would also uh, uh, wait, finish your point. Sorry. I was just saying good cards in modern that are like heavily played most of the time. You might get unlucky and one might get banned, or you might get unlucky and one might get reprinted, but it's very, very, very rare that you'll see something like a $70 card drop to 10 right. or you'll see like a $10 card raised to 70 It's much more likely that Confidant goes from 55 to 40 or that like some fetches will you know go from 18 to 26 And like, okay, buy in and weather it, because like, at the end of the day, you can pretty much cash up for what you bought in for, for the most part. Yeah. I would also say so this is something that we'll be talking about a little bit more in depth in a future episode when uh, we have a guest coming on that specifies in magic finance. But uh, right now is the best time to buy in modern. The, because this of moment. this exact moment, I would say even, um, because Christmas is coming up, people aren't spending as much money on magic collections because it's a lot harder to be like, hey, mom, buy this specific card. So like magic singles are all-time lows right now. On top of that, we're the exact farthest point away from modern season as possible. Like, if you look at card prices for modern, they are all at their cheapest, especially Modern Masters 2. Right. Um, which is just all going to be never lower than this. Are they cheaper? MM2, is that cheaper right now than it's ever been? Yeah, I think right now really? it's the cheapest. If I assumed not, it maybe a week ago. I assumed that it had bottomed out earlier and was starting to go back up, but you think it's cheaper now. Modern, because modern's not going up. People don't need it to grind RP2Qs right now. Uh, people okay. don't. You know, they're GPs once in a while, but for the most part, it's not being focused on. Yeah. And it won't be until the Pro Tour. And once the Pro Tour happens, people start being like, oh, man, I love the When we get closer to the summer. Once we start getting closer to the summer. Right, because it it built, like, it goes Modern Pro Tour, and then there's, like, a GP right after that. And normally there's another GP after that Pro Tour of Modern just to kind of see where it's going. And then the RPTQ season starts, so people start getting their collection together before the the pre-TQ season and there now it's we're back to cards being expensive I'm gonna be totally honest with you Alex I really enjoy these handheld mics I think that they're pretty sweet okay uh, I don't know I know right. we're doing make, the makeshift <laughs> episode in the kitchen but uh, sure. it's okay. a good next, thing next, next question <laughs> Coach Weiss 
Uh, Lee Weiss at Coach Weiss. If Twin wins a second straight PT, is it a potential ban target, or do they target say zero visions to reduce consistency? Definitely, they would target zero visions to reduce consistency, Correct. and that's a thing that, that that we've talked about before. Twin, we've said classically, if you had to sort of look at modern as an idea of a format, and you had to reduce it to two ideas, it would be you want one sort of quote quote unfair deck that wins on turn four. So you want a deck that, if you set up correctly, can combo you out. That's weak to most removal in the format. Yeah, and that's twin. And and one of the pieces in the combo is a mostly do-nothing aura that gets you two for one if you play it at the wrong time. So it's the, the sort of tenuous nature of the card is just right because you, you put yourself out there. If you go too aggressive, you can play like less aggressive and win on turn six. It's right. And then the other side of it, the decks that are going to be best against that deck are decks that are full of, of powerful value two-for-ones and really, really aggressive decks that if played correctly can come out ahead. So... In that sense, Twin is exactly what you want it to be. There's nothing about Twin that's wrong. Yeah, I mean, Wizards has kind of established that this is where they want the format to be with Twin. I can see them banning Twin eventually, in the same reason they kind of banned Birthing Pod. Oh, but, like, that just seems so silly. I think the deck is good because of the blue-red shell and just it's a consistent win condition than the outright combo. And then the combo mainly just adds the ability for auto wins out of left field so what you're saying is that you think like the deck is is just like a strong combination of whatever cards that are good and then it has a combo built into the middle of it and because it's right. a strong enough deck without the combo you could see them banning the combo to make it like a worse version of grixis and and, and that's why i see serum visions going away before serum visions would hurt a lot of decks man right it, do you I think mean, it would hurt here's a question for you Ben Bateman just tweeted in to the MM cast with a question. Do you think the banning of <laughs> do you think the banning of Serum Visions would hurt all of the decks it would hurt equally? No. I think the more combo centric you are, the more more you'll be hurt. So okay, like you're saying let's just say Amulet, which is a deck that we I think most of us figure is kind of on the chopping block. Right. How hard is it for Amulet to use sleight of hand to recover? I think it'd be fine. Okay. And what about twin? Uh, I think it would use sleight of hand. I don't. I don't think twin goes away, but I think that there's an argument for the fact that that card is too ubiquitous in the format. And uh, Grixis control. Same I think. Thing. I mean, that, yeah, same thing. You literally just think sleight of hand becomes the slightly worse version. That yeah. it's, it's exactly what happened when Ponder and Preordain became Serum Visions. The card Scry, which was Opt, which we've talked about. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but did we agree in that podcast that Opt would have to be a sorcery, not an instant? Yeah. You don't think it could be an instant? No, because it'd be way too good with Snapcaster Mage. So scry one, draw a card yeah. for one instant? Yep. I don't know about that. I mean, I think that card's printable. I don't know if it's good enough. Those Mike's are two different re- conversations. Is it better than Serum Visions? I'd say it's comparable. Okay, so you think that you need Slate. You, and that, to me, if I thought about how do I want to shake up the format, that doesn't seem... It seems like a little less fun because Serum Visions is sweeter and it's like not as much fun to have... The other reasons I'm kind of sensitive to think that maybe they get rid of it and the FNM promo hurts this point, right. but FNM promos classically are a little bit more just like whatever than like printing it in something like Modern Masters. But the fact that it was in Modern Masters is a big tell. That, that it wasn't. It wasn't. That maybe they were thinking at some point they were going to do it. They like might ban this card. Okay. And I think they would maybe even because I, I guarantee that the amount of time needed for an F and M card to be printed is much shorter. Like they have like two months to figure that one out. 
maybe more than that, but still than Modern Masters, an entire set release. If you guys are at all interested or curious about sort of the process of banning and how this all works, there's a great episode. We had Tom Lapilli, who was a former designer and an incredible Magic player. And we it's called talk- The Problem with Magic Pro Tours. I think it was from like three or four months ago. It was like April. Yeah, but it was a while back. And, and Tom's a friend of ours. He's a good dude and he's super smart. And he's been in the room before as they've discussed, you know, do we want to run a boring Pro Tour or do we want to ban cards on people's decks? And you, what we realized in the conversation was that Sometimes when a card is banned, it has very little to do with do we think it's too good. It's more like what is the easiest thing we could ban that will make the format interesting for now. So the whole idea of unbanning things is a possibility in the future, but we might just see a format without Serum Visions for a while. And if you're like, we need Serum Visions, it's sweet, it's not that good, then you should listen to it because you might find it really interesting. So let's move on. All right, so next question is from Flexta McSignals. Okay. Uh, he his uh, actual name is David, and then it's like a face holding his hands up as if like, what do you want? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe this face. But uh, his question is: Is partial foiling of a deck an issue? I'm building Tron and have only been able to trade into the from the vaults Grove of the Burnwills. I asked this from a tournament play standpoint. Um, this can be an issue. It's less of an issue if it's just one card like that, as long as it's not super important combo wise. Um, it's obviously up to the head judge and there is going to be problems. Like you could run into issues. Um, it's going to be more of an issue if every single land in your deck is foiled because then there's a specific difference between half the cards in your deck that could be visibly seeable. Um, it is always a risk. That's one of the reasons a lot of pros don't like foils in general because you run into this problem. Um, that's why a, a lot of legacy players also lean towards the foiling everything because at least then everything is foil. Uh, I think you're fine. Uh, I would think, you know, if you start noticing your cards are bending in a specific way, which sometimes happens, uh, make sure to keep your cards in a little bit more temperature-controlled rooms. Um, put them in books if they see get pre-foil for like a week and see if you can kind of undo the foil beforehand. Um, it's definitely an issue you should be aware of, but it's something that I think if only your burn willows are foiled, you're not going to have as much of a problem as, say, other ways you could accomplish half foils that would you'd run into issues another thing i'd recommend is uh if you're going to do that make sure to perfect fit all your cards because it'll add a little more consistency and rigidity to your whole deck as opposed to just the cards that are foil and then on top of that if you're going to get uh if you're going to sleeve it up make sure you don't get loose sleeves get rigid sleeves so like i think generally speaking dragon sleeves are pretty rigid they're tighter so if you get right like ultra pros will hurt you because they can they're much more flexible they're a little loose so if you get dragon sleeves and you perfect fit everything then it Usually it's really tight on the card, and if you do get any like creasing or bending on your card, it'll be a little more consistent with all your cards. Right. Um, oh, which... fun, fun, fun fact, and this is a little bonus thing. The best way to perfect fit sleeves, if you when upside you upside down, yeah, well upside down, whatever. But uh, put a land when you're putting the card, like just a, any random card, really. But I use a land because they're cheap and nothing. Uh, Put it in with it and then pull the land out. The land will keep the thing rigid enough where the sleeve won't kind of start popping off if you put the other card in the sleeve. Interesting. It works every time. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. So next point. Uh, Matt Viola at HabsFan69er. Sure. Uh, Burn without or with Atarka and Nactyl. Nacatl. Thanks for all of you guys do. These podcasts have made me a way better player. Well, I'm glad. (laughs) Well, that's good to hear. (laughs) Um, I would say with Atarka, but without Nakatl. In burn. In burn. Yeah, I mean if you're gonna play if you're gonna play Nakatl and Burn, you're just playing zoo. It's there's no there's zero reason to play burn with Nakatl and not just play a zoo deck at that point. Right. Because then you're taking a you're taking additional damage and playing your deck in a certain way with the idea that your best draw 
is well, only a very small portion of your deck. And well, and the coddle's purpose is you then start killing their creatures so it can get in, versus and instead of using your removal to burn them. And then it's a tenuous relationship between your creatures and your spells because like lava spike doesn't further your game plan, right? So you don't want to be playing bump in the night and lava spike and things like that. If, but as far as a Tarkus command goes, I mean, a Tarkus command is really good, no matter whether whether or not you're playing Burn or Zoo. Right. It's just that card, it does exactly what Burn or Zoo wants to be doing. So I think that's kind of a must. Yeah, I, I mean, my general understanding is they play for Tarka, for Boris Charm, and then Goblin Guides and all the other fun stuff. But yeah, I, I definitely think a Tarka is essential, but you don't, you're not playing the Coddle. I do think that there's an interesting deck that I've heard of before, and I've, I've heard people talk about it, and I've tried to build it myself, that plays four Delver, four Nacoddle, and then a bunch of like just like sweet burn spells, and you try to build, like, uh, and you play Serum Visions, and I think, like, Hierarchs and V-Clicks and stuff, like, and you just end up with this sort of, like, hodgepodge, like, mixture of essentially Delver, Zoo, and Burn. You take a ton of damage. Uh, your life total is... This sounds like a Ben Bateman deck. I, I thought of it, and then I saw somebody playing sort of a version of it, and you know, Tribal Flames is in the deck. Like, it's not that crazy, okay. but it definitely is the sort of thing that if Burn is super prominent in the format at one time, it's not a good plan because right. you're basically going into turn three at like 11 life or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, next question from Eric Wong Whose opinion should Wizard of the Coast value more in regards to the health of the format, the pros or everyone else? Oh, this is a great one. I remember seeing this and wanting to talk about this. So so I, I think the question isn't even who, who should they, but they do listen to players more than they listen to pros. If pros had their way, there wouldn't be a modern pro tour. And there is a modern pro tour because fans rejected the concept that there wasn't going to be one. I mean, this is like, this is like the best description. of The answer to this question comes down to one thing. So... One of our good friends, Andrew Brown, who's been on here several times, right? He's played on like the last four or five Pro Tours in a row. He's won a Grand Prix. He's done very well on the Pro Circuit. He has said, and he's done well in modern tournaments. Like, he's like, I don't like playing modern. And I'm like, why? And he's because it's a sweat. What does that mean? Well, the games are extremely tight. There's not an advantage I can get necessarily based as much on gameplay. It's very, very much of a toss-up because if you're playing against good players, it comes down to kind of a 50-50 most of the time, which is not fun if you're traveling and spending money to go to these things to try to win money. Right. Not to mention, I mean, you run into the issue that in standard, you would be like, okay, I need to be able to handle four decks. Yeah. In modern, you have to be handle 36 decks, and that's not including some weird stuff you'd play in the first three rounds. Right. So... If that's the case, then from a pro point of view, they're like, look, it really comes down to spike theory. I just want to be able to go in there with the best possible edge. I want my opponent to mulligan as much as possible. I want my opponent to have the least answers to my deck as possible. And I want to be able to win in the most whatever, in, in any way I can, as long as I'm not cheating, I just want to be able to win the game. I want to walk out of there with a W. Right. That's it. And in modern, it's hard to achieve. So when you talk about it from a pro point of view, you, let, you read some of the articles from Paulo Vitor or, or some of these these great established pros, and they're just sort of like, it's annoying for me to go to one of these tournaments and feel like I've done the work, I've put in the time, I've done the testing, and I can just lose to a coin flip where somebody just Goryeo's Vengeance me or, or Amulets me right. or draws Twin off the top and just kills me because their deck is powerful enough and I can't prepare for it focused enough to be able to get an edge. And, and I do think they do some middle ground straddling, which is fine. Like they should do that by having the bands be so attached towards the pro tour versus when maybe a format needs it. Right. Cause a lot of people complained that we didn't get a band during battle for Zendikar in modern because you know, there's an argument that there are cards that need to be banned right now and there haven't been any. And 
why does it have to be about the pro tour that doesn't affect everyone that just affects the pros right but from Wizards' perspective, they kind of want that Pro Tour is meant to do a lot of things, including make the format as popular as possible. And they think a diverse format that's like giving pros the chance to build new decks is the best way to make having a big profile tournament with pros worth it. Well, you got to look at it from three things, right? So number one, Wizards of the Coast exists as a company owned by Hasbro to sell packs. They want to sell product. The more product they sell, the more money the brand is worth and the happier their owner parent company is, right? It's from their point right. of view, this is a product they're selling. So with, with the enjoyment we get, the secondary market, the, the, the scene, all that, <coughs> you know, that's our own thing. Secondly, you have the players that play a lot of Magic, that love to play Magic, that, that, that go to PTQs and PPTQs and things like that, that dream of being on the Pro Tour. They watch streams, right? They read articles. They love Magic and they want to be as invested in modern as they can. But they're not pros. They don't go to every tournament. They don't win. They don't win money. So for them, it's like, that's like the enjoyment of the format is paramount. They want as many cool decks, as many good games. They'll spend the money. And the next level is the people who are streaming and playing in tournaments all the time and winning and winning money. And to them, it's like, look, I get it. Like, this is a fun thing for you. But for me... I'm, I'm in this. I've invested. This matters to me on a level more than just fun. This matters to me on a professional level. So to them, of course, they're not going to want, they're going to want the least amount of variance possible. They're going to literally want the best edge they can possibly right. most, get. Most pros will tell you that their favorite format of all time was Codblade Standard. And right. there's a reason Stan, the, the Wizards of the Coast banned out most of the cards in those decks because diversity is bad for the game as a, sorry, diversity is bad for pros, but good for the game as a whole. Yeah, and and, 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 attendance. and that's annoying. And but from from the point of view, I you know I would put the two of us, sadly, more in the middle category. People who are extremely invested, play a lot of Magic, play in tournaments, but you know we're not on the Pro Tour. We love it. We know about it. We read it. <laughs> we know a ton about it. We've played thousands and thousands of hours. Well, but like, and I would say like I generally agree with the policy that the bannings should be before the Pro Tour. Well, I, look, I, I believe in in terms of game theory. You know, we're both people who discuss game design, and right. you know, I like I I have created my own fantasy football league for the last five years that I'm changing the rules constantly and trying to come up with the, what's the best possible the best thing fun. Yeah, my thing is always three things. It's it's a how can you people how can you keep the people who are doing poorly the most invested? B how can you keep the if you're going to make a change, does it make it actively more fun? And C if you're going to make a change, can you make it to reduce variance? You want to you want to increase skill level and reward it. So right. for Which me, is why the scry roll was so great because it made people that aren't good happy and it made people that are good happier. Happier, exactly. And that was, for me, that's like I apply those rules to anything when I think about games. So when you ask, should we pay more attention to the community or the pros? I think it's a... I think you have to listen to everyone. I think it's kind of 60-40. I think the pros, in some ways, it's like the the... The pros matter more, but in a lot of ways, well, the I would say I would 60. say you listen forty sixty, but naturally that tendency will lean the other way because so much of the Wizards of the Coast, the company is ex pros, so right. their their tendency is towards pro tendencies, and therefore the fact that they listen to the community makes it kind of balance it out. It's fifty fifty. Uh, the biggest thing I'd change is put the pro toward in the last set, so June, so that you have a. Right, a pro tour during the the season versus like three months ahead of time. But that's yeah. that's that's here or there. Uh, next question. <laughs> um, I might be misinformed, but I was wondering why modern isn't a format where a pure control deck can survive. Love the show. I mean, we just talked about this kind of. I actually do believe that there are true control decks. I would say that Grixis Control is blatantly one, and I would argue that Jund and Abzan are probably control decks. 
I, th mm -hmm. I mean, like, a, yes, there's an argument for their mid-range, but they use, you know, slowly, methodically destroying what your opponent's doing until you can kill them with the Tarmogoyf. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny. I, I would say, really, the traditional sense of control, which is, like, one for one until you can two for one, which is, like, kind of usually the way. One for one until you can two for one and then play a finisher. Right, versus stop everything they're doing and then play a bunch of card draw spells. Yeah, which you can't really do that in modern. So, like, the Grixis deck is, is pretty much the most pure control deck that we have. Sure. Um, it's just, like, there's so much removal and so much value. You can just kill everything and stop everything until you can play, like, a Tassiger and win. Right. Um, that's kind of control. Like, the other deck that has been prominent for a long time is the blue-white-red deck, and it's not actually control. It's sort of, like, more tempo. It's more tempo. I think the, the blue-white, which is one of my better modern finishes was playing with I, I finished 12th was oh, it's like wall of omens and colonnades and yeah it was, it was just blue white clicks, straight control i mean i was playing uh Tolario west grabbing stuff which was sweet engineer explosives uh yeah it was engineer explosives and um uh what's the thing that just got banned in vintage it's xx uh chalice of the chalice void. of the void yeah the card wrecks a lot of decks not as specifically much now, but back then it yeah did. back then it did yeah yeah um all right moving on uh do you feel the decks like Splinter Twin and Black Green X are preventing new deck strategies from being good and seeing play in modern? No. Uh, I don't think so. I'm the, the, the interesting argument here is that they both kind of are bad against opposite things. Yeah. So like Black Green X decks are classically bad against strong permanents that are four or more mana. Because their best spell is generally Abrupt Decay or Lightning Bolt with Jund and then it, with Path in the other version. Um, so that's that's why Karanos is so good against them. Right. Uh, but on Twin side, the best cards against Twin are generally cards that cost three or less mana. So something like Tarmogoyf or uh, Bob. Because they once that you're past turn three, if you tap out against them, they can just combo out and win. I think, you know, this is what I was talking about before with Twin and why it won't get banned. It Imagine you were okay. This is this is like a little loose of an example, but in 2007, when they introduced Lorwyn Block and they did the original five planeswalkers, it was a new card type that we didn't know about. And we all read about it in the little pamphlet and on the little card that we got to figure out how it worked. And we all played with them in you know, limited and we bought the packs and played in standard. If you look back that initial five planeswalkers, the original Jace, Liliana, Chandra, Garrick, and uh, what was the white one, a Johnny. Uh, you can pretty much gather that from what wizards would want each color to feel like, it basically feels like that color. And it feels like that color at the appropriate power level and cost. It's very rare to find that. When they designed modern and they had it in mind, I don't think that they necessarily knew exactly what each sort of uh, strategic archetype was going to feel like. But if you were going to say what is combo, it's twin. What is mid-range, it's Abzan. So, like, you can't really think... If, if it wasn't going to be those decks, you'd have to have a different deck occupy that strategic space. And what would that deck be? I don't know that it would be any better than what we have, and I think you have to have each of those archetypes satisfied. Well, I, and I also think the conversation is, is twin a problem? Because the thing with mid-range, all of them, is they're just the color combinations and then the best cards in those colors. Right. Like, maybe Abrupt Decay is the card where that's a problem, but that seems ridiculous to have to ban a card. Like, I don't think it's oppressive in any way. Um the Abzan decks, they've banned stuff out from under them before, and it's always just made them slightly worse, and they've just found slightly they've different things. They've banned cards out of, of Jun too. No, I mean Black Green Exec, sorry. Abzan yeah, and You've Jund. lost Death, right? You've lost uh, Bloodbraid. Bloodbraid Elf. Those are the two main ones, and both of those were like, 
all right, uh, everyone's going to not play me as much because they think I'm worse. And then three months later, they're going to realize, oh, wait, no, these cards are still good. Deathrite Shaman was so sweet. That card's yeah. like so dumb, but so good. Um, all right, so next question. If you could ban any card, which one would it be? Same with unbans. Uh, so let's do bans first, and let's each pick one. We'll each pick a ban, and we'll each pick an unban? Yeah, so let's each pick one in our heads, and then we're going to say it on three. And then we're going to discuss it. <laughs> Uh, okay. All right, one, two, three, Blood, Blood Moon. Moon. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that happened. All right, yeah, so I think Blood Moon is the card. We've talked about it before. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think Amulet has to go with it. I don't think... I think Blood Moon is really important right now to fight Amulet decks. Yep. But if you got rid of Blood Moon, Amulet would be needed to go. But if you got rid of Amulet, Blood Moon doesn't is like oppressive to the format in a weird way that I think is unnecessary. Here's the reason Blood Moon is sweet and Amulet's not. Amulet is really unfair, and if played by a good player, can just kill you in an unfair amount of time doing solitaire. It's like eggs, but it plays cards that are a little more familiar to people. At least with eggs, you like lost in 30 minutes. I mean, I, I think the fact that Amulet kills you early is a benefit. <laughs> I think one of the things... Comparison. I, I remember when we all saw Amulet come out, we were all like, oh, this is sweet because it plays Primeval Titan, which is like, you know, eggs never played a card that was like sort of ubiquitous to awesome Magic players. It always right. played like just a bunch of weird cards. It's kind of the same thing as... Um, What's it called? Uh, the, the, that weird uh, prison deck? Uh, the one that we look at the top. Oh, of the Lantern board. Control. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. It's a bunch of bad cards that turned out to be good together. With At least with like Amulet, people are like, oh, yeah, Primeval Titan's awesome. This is great, right? I get to play free spells and search for Primeval Titans. This is so cool. But it's not fair. The reason Blood Moon should go is because when you're creative as a brewer, what you really want to do is be like, okay, What's the coolest combination of cards I can come up with to do what I want to do? I want to play all the cards I want to play doing exactly what I want to do and be able to be as greedy as I want if I want to. And the thing that should restrict me here should be the fact that I lose life by playing too many colors. And if people attack my mana in a fair way by destroying my lands, I'll suffer. Right. That should be the way you suffer. Well, the, the real cost to playing too many lands... There's already a cost. It's the life total issue. Completely. It's not like Legacy where you just can willy-nilly play any color you want, no problem. In this format, like if you're playing too many colors, burn is just going to stomp on you. Burn's super prominent. So like yeah. that, that's what I mean. Like I don't think that... Because the, the reason Blood Moon's not fun is because it's essentially... On turn three, if I draw this and you don't have a way to answer it and you're playing a deck that is creative with your mana base... I'm going to win the game. Not even if you're creative. If you just like happen to play, like hold your fetch land, or if you just happen not to draw any fetch lands, you just yeah. only drew one of your, your shock lands. And totally. like, it, like it makes it, I'd rather, to be totally honest, I'd rather Wasteland, which shouldn't be in the format, but I'd rather Wasteland be in the format than Blood Moon. And that's what we said when we talk about changing things to eliminate variance. The variance of drawing a Blood Moon versus not drawing a Blood Moon is so high for a player that is not skilled, which is why it's not good. Because it makes the game unfun, and I realize people will say it balances It makes it unfun and makes it less skill-intensive, which and is bad for everyone. from the point of view of coverage, which is important, you want you want magic matches to people like us and to the people who listen to this podcast who love modern to be, be able to watch. interesting and have stuff happening. And you and don't... Uh, I've watched I've watched finals games in PPTQs. I've seen it on camera, I've seen too. final games at Pro Tours and GPs where someone plays a Blood Moon and you're just like... Scoop it up. Well, I get to watch that person play lands and do nothing for five turns. Yeah. Okay, so we got to talk about unbannings then. Uh, yeah, so, so we each I guess. Need, we each need to choose one. Uh, yeah, on three. Oh, God, this is tough. Okay, uh, we'll, yeah, sure, let's choose on three. All right, one, two, three. Blood Jace the Mind Sculptor. <laughs> no. 
That's so awesome. No, no I, okay, I'll go with the bad. other car that got banned, Stoneforge. That's that's okay. really it's like Jace is awesome, and I think that it's doable at four, but I also think it's like way too powerful because it's a unique card that's hard to answer. Right. The internet, the internet agrees with you, but the uh, the reality agrees no. with with me. Jace, Jace <laughs> would be so unfair. And then when we talked to Chapin recently, he was like, "People don't understand how good that card actually is. Like, you can't have so, right. but you forget." Yeah, but Stoneforge, I think, is a real, that's a real Well, we thing. have someone ask that question, so. Did you get into it? Yeah. All right, sure, yeah. So someone, and I'll, I'll get to them let's, as well. Let's talk about your well, first. Okay, so Bloodbred Elf. So uh, I've talked about it a lot, but I think it took a bullet for Deathrite Shaman. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's an argument now that with Colgan's Command, it's too strong. Um, yeah, so that would be the value. one argument against it I can think of. Otherwise, I don't think it deserves to be banned in a world where Siege Rhino, which is arguably better half the time it yeah. is legal in the format so I mean, colagon's command is literally the reason though and it's it's a pretty damn good reason like it's that True. card's insane and when you consider like but how... is it that much better than colagon's command is with snapcaster mage or jace because i don't think it is because uh... like it it's a yes you might get a, a discard and burn but like that's worse than blightning it's literally worse than blightning at every point if that's what you do to a person yeah, I guess that's probably true, and I mean that that sort of begs the question: Is I think it's still good. Don't get me wrong. They wouldn't ban Coligan's command, right? No, it's too like. Yeah, no, it's an answer, and they just printed it, and it's not it's not oppressive. If anything, it opened up like four new decks in the yeah. format. And make, yeah. like what is affinity worse? Oh no! You make a strong point. I mean, Snapcaster Mage would be the card they'd ban, I guess, in that sense. Now right. that you have Jace, I mean, I guess now that you, I guess now that you have Jace, in some ways you could ban Snapcaster. Nah, I, I also don't see that happening. I like because they like what Snapcaster did in the format. It's just a two-one with Flash that sometimes buys you back Lightning Bolt. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, to go with what you were talking about, Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, somebody shouted us out on that, right? Yeah, I'm looking for the person who brought it up. You look it up. I'll start talking about it. Yep. Um, okay, so this is like the probably the most interesting question we got, right? Because when you hear that, I got it. Uh, Brian Brown at Brian BGRP asked if Stoneforge Mystic is the potential Stoneforge unbanned possible due to the upcoming GP promo. So, those who don't know, uh, the GP promo for next year is Stoneforge Mystic, right? Which means that if you attend a GP, you get a foil Stoneforge Mystic, and the art is sweet. Not as cool as the original art. She's got like a weird hook thing, and I'm all down with the like a sword and a sword and a rock, right? Sword and a rock. Sort of a rock. <laughs> rock uh, in a hard place. Here's the thought that I had when I, when I heard it first. Okay, because we've talked about unbannings a lot of times. So Stoneforge Mystic, I played in Standard. I played Stoneforge in Legacy. Um, I know how good Stoneforge is. I play it in Highlander Roulette. I, I know that like the way that a game plays when you see one in your opening hand is really exciting. But the thing is about Modern is that the real sequence of play with a Snapcast or with a Stoneforge Mystic is that you essentially, let's just say best case scenario, you play that on turn two. Now, end of turn, if you can untap and it's still alive on turn three, you get to flash in something really cool. Batterskull. Batterskull. Or theory. Sword of Feast and Famine. It's and, one of the two. But that's going to cost you the majority of your mana on turn three. So that means that something else should be in your hand that you can play at instant speed in case you don't. Counter like, magic. That should sort. be the way Remand. your deck works. Right? Yeah. Remand or something that can answer, right? So if that's the case, what we're talking about here is somebody has to not kill your Stoneforge. They have to not have a Colagon's command. That, first of all, if they're on if they're on the play, if they don't even want to wait, they can just kill your Stoneforge and make you discard a card. And then on top of that, like the decks that are going to kill you in Modern on turn four, like Twin, a lot of the other ones, they, they don't really care if you get Snap if they get Stoneforge with Batter Skull right. because it's turn four and they'll just win. I mean, like I, I really talk about it, like 
we had this conversation before. The fact that Colgan's command is a card in modern makes Stoneforge Mystic that much worse, and in the very specific way that Colgan's command would fight it, because you can either, if you're fine with them having the whatever equipment they have they got in their hand, you can just snap off, make them discard, and kill Stoneforge Mystic on turn right. three. Or, like, the curve is turn one, land, turn one, land, turn two, Stoneforge, if you're on the play, turn two, I play a land, Turn three, they flash in Batterskull. Turn three, I blow up their Batterskull, kill their Stoneforge Mystic with the right. Colgan's command. Like, that's such an insane play that I can't imagine... Like, Stoneforge Mystic might just not be that terrible. It's going to be really good. If it's unbanned, it becomes one of the best cards in the format overnight. It makes Zoo decks way better. It makes Junk decks, Arabzan decks, much stronger. Yeah. And it gives probably Blue, White, Red a kick in the pants that it's needed. And I, you know what I think it does? I actually think that it be- makes Mardu a deck. I think I think yeah. Black White Red becomes a deck because you can play Stoneforge and you can play Colgan's Command that gets you back Stoneforge so right. that you can get another equipment or you can get another artifact. Right. And Cobblade comes back, which I love Cobblade. I think that deck yeah. specifically the way that because the 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 key interaction of Cobblade is you play Stoneforge Mystic, you get a Feaster Famine, mm-hmm. and that Feaster Famine makes it so that you can keep Counter Magic for the rest of the game. And with Jace and Snapcaster and Stoneforge Mystic all in one deck, that's a blue-white deck that people want. Like, we, I'm not against that. We are forgetting the fact that Stoneforge Mystic's a two-drop. And when it was legal and standard, it played really, really well with Hand Disruption, that are one-drops. <laughs> so if you play a one-drop Hand Disruption spell and you follow it up with Snap with, with Stoneforge, It'll be really good. Uh, like I, still... I mean, it's like if you do that and you take their one abrupt decay out of their hand, and then you right, just like play an it, list. and you just get a batter skull, and then it's like, oh yeah, this is why this got banned because it's not fun at all to play against because you're getting a flash four four. Like, it's it is a little. So that is the worst case scenario is an Esper list. That's too good with it. Mardu, I'm telling you, what what if you what if you put it in Mardu and now you're getting now you're getting Stoneforge, Hand Disruption, Lightning Bolt. And other sweet things like sweet creatures, yeah, but like, just like good things. Thoughtseize. I, I, both arguments is still a problem. Like the the issue is that you're getting too much value with right. I can see where it's more likely we are getting closer to a period where Stoneforge Mystic can be unmanned. It's possible that they came up with this GP promo, being like, you know what, with Colgan's command, I think it's safe to unban Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah, let's take a risk. The last three unbannings have all been kind of lame. Right. Uh, Stoneforge Mystic was banned out of the format possibly because Jace is too good and they went hand in hand and maybe Stoneforge Mystic would be fine in the format. Right. Let's get those swords that we reprinted and printed cool art for to see more play. Let's like, there's a lot of cool things it does for wizards. Right. They're making it more available starting with the GP promo. Yep. I can see them unbanning it. If they do, it skyrockets overnight. Uh, even with the GP promo, um, it's definitely a very interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's where that's where I'm at on that. <laughs> I'm fully with you, man. All right. Uh, NPB, Lotus MTG. My playgroup and I believe living in is the most fun archetype. Do you agree? How would you make it more fun? Super swingy. Don't think it's very fun. Uh, I've played against it. It's I can. Have you played with it? I feel like you would love playing with it. I understand full well why Living End is fun. <laughs> I, like I get it. Like there's like a lot of the cards that you got you, you guys get to play in that deck are sweet. The only issue with me with Living End, the only thing that I don't particularly like about it is that it sort of exists with one style of play and game plan in mind. It's like so consistent that you have no versatility yeah, towards it. Yeah, like for instance, when I okay, let like I draw a monster's caravan and I look at it and I go, "Okay, 
if I cycle this, it's sweet. I can draw a card. If I don't cycle this, I have to play this big, dumb, clunky creature. I have to hard cast it. Eventually, like a five six is a five six that you can't. No, like with. it's fine, but like I don't want to be casting monstrous carabin. That's not fun for me. Like the only <laughs> reason that's happening is because like for whatever reason I'm drawing it late. So at that point, living end is not a card that does anything cool aside from like the thing it does. So it's, would you say the uh, living twin decks are more fun in your opinion? Those decks are crazy. I mean, I, I've seen those things work and like, they're just, they seem so nuts. Like I, I just can't imagine like living ends a do nothing card unless it's the card that it does. And twins a do nothing card unless it's the card that it does. So now you're just playing like, this whole hodgepodge well, of shenanigans. Your whole deck is cantrips, so you draw yeah. into the cards you need when you need it, and then sometimes you just are like, oh, I win. Like, okay, let me back up and just say, I full well 100% understand where you're coming from. It's not my favorite deck. By no means do I in any way mean... You feel very strongly about this, I feel like. That it's not, like, super cool. Because I play dumb decks that are full of dumb cards that just do a cool thing I want them to do, and... Like I talk about it all the time. So like I'm on the same team as you and we're against the guys. <laughs> we're against the guys that are playing friggin' junk and jund and twin. Like we're on the same team. If you're playing living in, then you're my bud. You're using a lot of we's and me's and I don't know who you're referring to, but I'm going to move Kessler. on. Uh, Craig, three bean soup. Is it acceptable to play a worse version of a card? Say ratchet bomb over engineered explosive. If it's been printed as a promo, of course. Depends, I mean, depends entirely what the venue you're playing is. And what you're trying to attempt. Yes. Uh, if you're trying would, to win a big tournament, absolutely not. Don't play Ratchet Bomb over Engineered Explosives if you're going to a GP and you want a place. It, it, as long as the card availability is not an issue. Well, no. I mean, don't. If you, yeah, play if you can get Engineered Explosives, right. Play a deck that doesn't require the card you should be playing because at that point, we, we know from talking to the best players in the world that they all say the one thing that will separate that match is basically one tiny percentage point one small thing you draw that one sideboard card you draw that one card you knew was going to be brilliant at that one time like these decks are tuned so if you're going to win your fnm with a ratchet bomb hats off if you're going to go and play in a pptq and it's your 75th card in the sideboard it should be ee but it's ratchet bomb like you might get away with it if you're playing against some of the better players in the world or better players in the country and you want a place you got to be careful about that because don't don't set your expectations where they shouldn't be if you're going to you know that's it's a hard thing to, to realize, but it's right. important if you want to win. All right. Alexander Britt, what sleeve deck box slash binders do you guys prefer? Go first. All right. So uh, sleeve-wise, I'm actually a really big fan of the Fantasy Flight licensed product. So there's Game of Thrones ones and Star Wars ones. That's partly because I have a problem myself of making it so my decks are face-up. I don't care personally, but I realize for tournament play, you can get caught as cheating if you have some cards face down and some face up because it could be considered um, marking your cards. So by having them be art, it lets that work better. I also think it's easier to double sleeve those those sleeves in particular. Um, and I would say last but not least, uh, I like cool, like I'm a Star Wars and Game of Thrones fan, so you, they're blatantly on those sleeves. You're like a super nerd and like you have a very hard time being... Um <laughs> you have a very hard time keeping your cards all the same direction. Yes. For whatever reason, yeah. you have this like you have this like extremely sloppy style care. of play that, <laughs> that when you play Magic, but like weirdly enough, it actually has nothing to do with your your mind is strategically working just fine. It's it, it's like where I put stuff is never it, going to be. It appears as though you're extremely unorganized, but then you'll just like make the right play, and it's like, how are you doing this? <laughs> that mountain's upside down, and like <laughs> like what are you doing? And like it's yeah, but it's like extremely frustrating, but it doesn't matter. So uh, my answer is, uh, 
I like to have sleeves and deck boxes and things that are very like representative of something I love. So a great example of this is years ago, back in like 07, I got these Ultra Pro sleeves that had a picture of the card um, Magus of the Future. And I had these sleeves. <laughs> it's a card that I like a lot. It's a really cool, it's a very cool picture. Um, it's a weird like space edge looking dude. And uh, anyway, I had these sleeves for a long time and I kept them all in pretty good shape. And I played in limited tournaments for years and years and years. And they held together and they finally started to split. And I stopped playing with them a couple years ago. And this last summer, when Kessler and I were going to PPTQs and building decks and we built Superior Burning Cocoa, I was so excited because I put all this time in building this deck. I went onto a store online and I found a set of the very same sleeves from 07, like an old store that had back stock. And I ordered them for more than I should have. And I played all summer with those sleeves. And that's kind of like the metaphor for like the stuff I like to have. I really like stuff that I feel like is sort of awesome and neat and my own style like every my whole binder is alphabetically organized by format and by card type and things like that um, i'm just a little ocd that way so that's that's my answer uh yeah well when it comes to uh, deck binders there's these new uh four the fours four packs very the cool fours, they're very cool they like because you can do like play sets across i, I really enjoy that that's the as far as a binder goes, yeah. deck boxes. I've been rock, rock. I rocked the like cloth covered ultra pros for a long time, and then very recently I've started rocking the like towers that have like the dice. Oh, on the bottom. those are great. Yeah, those are really cool. Yeah, um, they kind of come with everything you need. So I'm I'm a fan. They're not as they're a little bigger, so it's hard to fit as many into the same backpack mm. that I have. But whatever. Um, moving on. Uh, what do you guys think it will take for there to be a viable control deck? Oh, we've answered this three times, but Alex Belty asked, and uh, thanks for listening. It. Yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you see Do you see Amulet Bloom getting banned in the future? Yes, one hundred percent. Yep. <laughs> Your opinions on what the next bannings before the next Modern Pro Tour will be? Amulet Bloom. <laughs> uh, well, I think it'll be Amulet Bloom. Which card though? Amulet. Not Summer Bloom. Mm, I see it being Amulet. I, I think in a lot of ways, if that deck didn't have Summer Bloom... You just and, play Azusa, which yeah, is... I guess that's fairer. If they really like the deck and they want it to stick around, you ban Summer Bloom. If they would just want to get that stuff out of here, Amulet. I think you probably realistically could ban Summer Bloom and see what happened, because I think the deck would get a lot weaker. And sure. I think... If that deck Azusa can be killed by every lightning bolt under the sun, and it costs three, it so costs I think three. Yeah. I think that if that deck struggles to be good and it can't get Azusa down until turn three, unless it spirit guides it out on turn two, which is like the same as getting a summer bloom on turn one with spirit guide, then I think the deck becomes an inconsistent, slightly more fair deck. What if? Can you imagine if the bannings this time were were summer bloom and serum visions? I mean, I can't imagine that. It'd be very interesting. Yeah. It would mean that Sleight of Hand and Azusa become that deck, and I don't know if people would play it. It means all of the decks that are utilizing Serum Visions for consistency become a little weaker. Um, the only deck that exists at that point that is super unfair is Goryeo's Vengeance. And what needs to be banned out of that deck? Goryeo's Vengeance? Yeah, I think that's the card you'd have to get rid of. I mean, if you want to get rid of that deck, you, I don't think they want... What's the analog? What's the what's the like what is keep the it around? Like get rid of the shoal or get rid of through the breach? Yeah, or Grizzlebrand or gri like Grizzlebrand. But then I mean, like there are other yeah. The Grizzlebrand is the card that allows the deck to like function. No, no, no. I agree. Uh, I don't know. I would get. I think you'd get rid of Goro's. If He's you want to get rid of that deck, you get rid of Goro's. I don't think. I think Goro's Vengeance is surviving this ban cycle. 
I mean, Grizzlebrand's the only... That's the only deck Grizzlebrand sees significant play in. True. Really. I mean, Gift decks will sometimes play one instead of, it, like, as an additional Elishore. Elishore is just better. Yeah. I, 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 I totally believe that Goro's Vengeance decks are going to survive this banning. I think we're seeing Amulet, because it's a high-profile one. Uh, possibly Blood Moon. It seems like there are a lot of hints towards Serum Visions yeah. recently. And I think we're seeing a unbanning of something and... Based off of what we just talked about, I think Blood Braid and Stoneforge are the two likely candidates. Interesting. C- come on, we could play Lightsaber Naya again. You just Zendikar block. Just, that's, <laughs> just, that's just your home. Uh, all right. Um, that was actually from Shan the Man. Uh, from Ben Michael McGinnis at Newspaper. Yep. Uh, why does Wizards refuse to acknowledge the size of the marmot modern format in both player base and economy? It, it seems like they don't care how our tournaments play out or how much money we have to pay to singles just to play. This That's is a, a hard very one. Very complicated question. There's two halves of that question. Number one is the the tournament organization and how the tournaments turn out. That I can uh, I can agree with you is difficult because it's a new system and the PPTQ system is pretty new. Well, and we have we're the only format other than standard, which is the one they want to promote the most that gets our whole a whole season. Yeah, but we saw this whole summer when tournaments should have been like thirty to fifty. They were routinely in our area, and we had lots. We had like one every yeah. weekend. They were routinely in the sixty to seventy to eighty range, where like extra rounds people getting turned away like the kind of thing where you're like i have to win a 70 or 80 person tournament. well but that that's that's not wizards not acknowledging how popular the the format is that's that's just going to happen i think wizards realizes how popular modern is i think that's the reason they originally were like oh no modern pro tour and we talked right. with tom about why that happened but they were like eventually like oh you know what you're right there are enough of this community that cares about this and we don't want to come off as if we're not supporting it you can have your modern pro tour I think that the other half of the question, as far as car, like single price and availability, I think you've seen a real uh, movement from them towards trying to make those cards more affordable in in, in experience right, with all the released. promos, with the F and M's, with like they're now folk. They now have moments where they're like, okay, we need to be reprinting modern staples in these supplemental products. Yeah, because I think they've realized that they don't want it to be in stuff like the commander product yeah. because of the weightedness of the fact that there are five decks and if only one of them has a Snapcaster Mage in it, then yeah. that'll sell out and then they have a whole different merchandising problem, which you have to remember they're a company that has these issues. Yeah. But I think the other thing people don't realize is a lot of people just want modern to be as cheap as possible. And the can't problem be. with... It can't be because eventually pe- like there are enough players that you either have to flood the market with everything, which would kill the game. Right. Like, th- there is one easy way to kill magic and it almost happened in Chronicles. Uh, Chronicles, right? Yep. Chronicles. And it's by printing too much. They were really afraid with both the Masters of Modern products, the first one especially, about this happening. But they're making a concerted effort to try and get staples out to people's hands. And it's just, one of the problems is the only reason everyone's not playing Modern is because of maybe card availability. Not everyone, but a lot of people. And every time you do one of these large supplemental printings, the cards go up because people want to now play with the new cards they got. So every time Modern Masters comes out, Modern prices explode a little bit because people are like, oh, I now have Tarmogoyf. I can now play junk, so I need all of the other junk cards. I would say also, like, back back around the times of Chronicles, it was around the same time as 4th edition. So what you saw with those original Magic sets, unlimited to revise to 4th edition, and then 5th edition was like, that time period, they didn't really understand because it was a brand new game. What's going to happen if we just make this too readily available and we don't, we don't sort of respect the chase rare part of the collectible card game? And you see that most of the cards from that era have no value. Aside from, from Revised, the dual lands have value, and everything else is essentially worth nothing. Fourth edition has almost no card that is worth anything, and fifth edition, pretty much the same thing. So 
they started to fix it as they went forward. But the point is, if you think about magic now and modern now, you have the sect of players that are involved and invested and know the format and other cards, they know the price and they're willing. I'm someone who believes that in general in life, if you want something bad enough, you'll make it happen. So like, that's not to say that like they shouldn't continue to try and they are. And I, and I think that the, the, the effort they're doing is great. But and I, I think also, we'll see more. I think like yeah. we're only I, like battle for Zendikar is going to be weird yeah. and you can tell by its limited environment. It's weird in the sense that this was a set that was printed to be three sets. Right. And halfway through design, they're like, oh, we're sorry, you have to squish two sets into the rest of the design on BFZ and over the gate, watch, and just deal with it. So, yeah, my, like my, basically my point about that is that if you think about the fact that there's nearly 30 million Magic players, and, and the statistic is that we have about 10% of those players, somewhere in the 3 million range, that are competitive players, like tournament players. Right. And the rest are sort of like just the here and there, like kitchen table, what have you. Sure. If that's the case, then you have to respect the fact that we don't necessarily want to be involving a player that's not yet prepared for a format as competitive and involved as modern in the format unless they do respect what they're getting into because it's very competitive. It's very hard to do well at, and you don't want to crush someone's expectations if they're, say, a brand new kitchen table player and put them in an environment with a format as competitive as this to just sort of like, this game's not fun for me. I'm going to leave. For them to respect it, there has to be a certain price barrier that's like, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. So I'm gonna spend them. I'm gonna spend a little like bit of money golf to respect it. <laughs> and 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 I think modern is that format is right in the middle there. Well, I, I would also something I would point out is the prices in modern are always unless they do a full blanket reprint of every card in the format, it's always gonna be expensive because there's always gonna be like the reason Serum Visions popped, the reason Snapcaster Mage especially went up to eighty dollars was because people. Other cards that weren't that expensive went down because they were reprinted in Modern Masters. Every right. time Modern Masters is reprinted, or Modern Masters set gets printed, you'll see the cards in the set that get printed go down. And But as they go down, a bunch of other staples that weren't in it. So, like, go up. when Infect wasn't spoiled in the set, we all saw that, like, oh, the Infect uh, Ink Moth Land got reprinted, like, started skyrocketing because people are like, oh, this is a card that I need to invest my money in now. Ink Moth Nexus? Yeah. So I, I don't think Wizards is actively trying to kill the format. I think obviously they care about standard the most, but standard right now is more expensive than some modern decks. So like some, right? Not all. Yeah, but Jace is expensive. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So and so we're running out of time. So I'm going to say uh, two more questions. Uh, tribal battle: Homerids versus Thralls. Gotta go. <laughs> Thralls. Homerids. What? Yeah. What Homerid can beat a Thrall? They're like, they have, aren't they like tentacle blue? Yeah, but there's like, like all these people? sweet Thralls, I feel like. There's all like the, the token creators, the one from the black one that is Thalid something from. Wait, Thralls and Thalids, they're different? Thalids are not Thralls. Okay, Homerids. <laughs> they're a blue tribe. They can be <laughs> bitch the Force of Will. Same Stormcrow yeah. business. All right, next person. Oh, and that was from um, Luke Perkins. Uh, and last but not least. Sweet thralls or something. 
Actually, I think that's it. Everything else is uh, pretty much what we've talked about already. Okay. So uh, I want to thank you guys for running in. It was We really enjoyed doing this episode. If it was a little bit messier than normal, we apologize. We're in a kitchen. Uh, to explain that, uh, our previous recording studio is now under construction, so we're going to be a little bit mobile. So the next couple of weeks are going to be a little bit more uh, on the road. But we're in sort of a cool in-between where we're looking, for the, we're looking for this opportunity that I, I think is coming. We're sort of in the middle of figuring it out, but we hopefully are going to be in this new studio with possibly some video capability. And uh, I just got a new job, so our whole everything's setup. a little bit toss up. It's a holiday toss up, but yeah, but not yeah. a toss up like we're any less committed. We we love this and we will continue doing this. Oh, it's just yeah, a question yeah. of we'll record in my in the backseat of my car if we have to, which we did for the GP Vegas. Well, that was that was your car, yeah, yeah GP Vegas. Yep, Ben's car. If you so, want to hear what our recording <laughs> setup sounds like, listen to the GP Vegas episode. It was a fun one. Uh, all right, so uh, I want to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter. That's where we got all these questions. So if you want your questions answered in our next. Uh, mailbag grab episode or sometimes at the end of episodes if we have some time we'll answer questions in general uh, follow us on Twitter it's at the MMcast I am personally at Kess Wiley on Twitter I'm at Ben Bateman Media you can find me on Twitter and Instagram you and can actually you... on Instagram I'm also at Kess Wiley are you really? yeah you never even promote that I know because I don't know it's yeah. Instagram I don't it's weird yeah, it's I'm a not, to Facebook I'm not that into it I mean you can you can follow me on Instagram it's at Kess Wiley but there's an underscore that's yeah. the difference uh, if you guys are into action movies I do a podcast called Action Movie Anatomy it's audio and video it's on the popcorn talk network popcorn talk network and if you're into sports uh, i work for the dan patrick show the box score now and i do uh, comedy sketches about sports stuff that premieres on direct tv audience network and online every week so i'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more later I, my first sketch i think premieres well you'll hear this later but i think it premieres tomorrow and i play tom brady so you'll, you'll get a laugh out of that if you are a fan of us and then uh last but not least uh, we have a facebook go check out our facebook oh, it's yeah. facebook.com slash the mmcast fully uh, that there's a more discussion focused idea on the Facebook versus Twitter, which is more just us yelling at the ether. So yeah, check us out. Uh, and thank you guys for listening. Oh, make sure to check out the command zone. We mentioned at the beginning, but we're going to mention it now. They do great commander content. Jimmy and Josh, uh, they rock it every week. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye, Good good night. Bye guys. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMcast at rocketjump.com. See you later. Alligator.